Yeah, this morning we're looking at the subject of being empowered in Christ. If you can turn to Ephesians in chapter 1, I've entitled this uh, Empowered in Christ with a subtitle of Know God and Know His Power. Ephesians 1 is split into two sections. The first half, which we've looked at already, is a great praise, prayer, um, uh, of, of God's blessings to us, his acknowledgement of all he's, he's given to us in Christ. This half of the prayer of the chapter is really a prayer of intercession for the church. And even though this was written in AD 60, about that time, uh, is so contemporary. I don't know about you, but I love to be prayed for. I love it when people pray for me. And this is Paul's prayer. So while we're reading this passage, can you imagine Paul is praying over you as, you, as we read this? So it's Ephesians and uh, chapter 1. I'm going to have to get rid of this. I can't. Too restricted. Right, Ephesians 1 and verse 15. Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Father, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you will know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Even when we have a vibrant faith, which the Ephesian church had, we can know and experience so much more. So much more of the power of God and in deeper ways. Sai, in the last two weeks, has introduced us to triangles and squares and oblongs and ovals and even a hexagon, I think it was, and, you know, trying to, for us to understand the riches that we have in Christ. I can't follow that theme. But I was thinking, and, you know, the word smart, which I think, side was being really wasn't he the word smart has entered our vocabulary in the last few years many of you will have smartphones smart meters there's smart home cameras traveling back from holiday i noticed a number of motorways were being converted to smart motorways i had to look what that what that meant i didn't know what it meant and there are now smart trousers therefore some neurological disabilities everything seems to be smart the Apostle Paul would not have used this word, but I think that we can be smart if we understand this prayer. So to be smart, I think there's four things that I'd like to suggest to you that we should know 
from this prayer. The first is, know and experience God in Christ. Our Father, our glorious Father, as Paul says here, wants to reveal himself to us. Revealing is in the Father's nature. He doesn't want to be hidden. He wants to be known, and he wants us to know him, and he wants us to experience him too. So don't shy away from increasing your knowledge of God. Don't shy away from experiencing God. We can know him with our minds, yes, but we can know him in our experience as well. The Greek text here actually means a full knowledge of him. This will be complete, of course, when we arrive in heaven. But God is wanting to give us a fuller knowledge of him now, here in this life. And we're given two keys to help us in this. And they're in verse 17. God wants to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. This is emphasized in verse 18, and it says that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. In Scripture, the heart is seen as the place of moral judgment, our conscience, our feelings, and our faith, because Christianity is a heart faith, not a, not a head or an outward faith. The Father has given us the spirit of wisdom so that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened, so that the, our inner spiritual awareness can be awakened. This was deposited to us and sealed to us in the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example of this, a medical example. Cataracts form over people's eyes, usually in later life, although children can have cataracts as well. And it happens when the lens of your eye, which is close to the front of your eye, um, becomes opaque. It's like trying to see through a misty window, a, a condensation on the window. It's difficult to see. There's reduced uh, vision. Surgeons can, and they've been doing it for decades, can do microsurgery on the front of the eye. They can remove that lens and replace it with a prosthetic lens and instantly sight is restored. That is what it's like to have our eyes enlightened. We can see better. We can know in our knower, as I like to say. Interestingly, this week, we had a prophetic word about 2020 vision. And that, if you go to an optometrist and they say your vision is 2020, that's good. You want 2020 vision. And uh, in this prophetic word, God was saying to us, coming up to 2020, he wants to give us 2020 vision. He wants us to know him better. He wants to see for us to see the things that are around us in proper perspective. I wonder if Paul had his conversion experience in mind when he was writing this. Do you remember the story? Paul was uh, persecuting the Christians. He was traveling to Damascus when a, a light from heaven suddenly flashed and God spoke to him audibly. He was blinded and fell off his horse. The barber doesn't tell him he fell off his horse, but he probably did fall off his horse. But God dealt with his heart. And he sent Ananias to pray for his healing and for him to be filled with the Spirit. And this is what it says in Acts 9. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see. Paul suddenly knew in his heart 
His heart had been enlightened. Illumination had come. The mystery of Christ, his death and resurrection had been revealed to him. See, Father God is not remote. He's not distant. He's not hard to approach. He's not hard to find. He doesn't play hide and seek with us. He wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to have um, our lenses polished up, if you like, so we can see him. He's revealed to us through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And he wants to bring that full knowledge of himself throughout our lives and culminating in eternity when we will know all things. Our eyes being opened is an ongoing process. We are to expect greater degrees of revelation to come, to have a deeper understanding of the gospel. The Spirit wants to illuminate our ignorance and to shine light in our hearts that we may know him. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So some practical ways how we can grow, I think, in the knowledge and experience of God. Worship. During worship, our eyes are opened. Our worship leaders are very intentional about the songs we sing. We don't go for the new ones with a great tune. We hope they've got a great tune. We, we value that. But our worship leaders choose songs that are full of truth, songs that lead us into the presence of God, songs that will build us up. But what is our part? What is our part? How do you approach worship? When I was a child, my grandma used to take me to chapel. Chapels, very serious places. Um, everyone was dressed very neatly. The ladies would be in a dress with a hat on. Men would be in a suit with a tie on. Extremely smart. And you'd be there 10 minutes early. You'd walk in and it would be absolutely silent and your footsteps on the, on the chapel floor would be noisy. And you'd open um, this like door to the pew and go in and sit down and then shut the door and you was in your little box. And you'd sit there in absolute silence and the clock would be ticking, tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. You can imagine what was going through an eight-year-old's mind, can't you? But what were they doing? What was behind that, that, that practice of silence? Well, they were preparing their hearts to worship. They were repenting. They were realizing that they're coming to Almighty God to worship him. Now, I'm not suggesting that we do that, but there's some principles in there, isn't there? You know, we, we sometimes just rush in 10 minutes late, sit down, get on with it, you know. Do we prepare our hearts? No, I know family life's difficult, there's challenges, things go wrong, and sometimes we're late and all the rest of it. But it's not actually those external things, it's what's in our hearts. Are we ready to worship God? Are we ready to encounter him? Are we ready to know him more as we worship? So it's all right, we're not going to be wearing hats next week. Second thing is, I think we can encounter him in the word. And obviously you hear much... Um, we're always encouraging you to be into Scripture. Uh, but I want to encourage you in a slightly different way today, actually. We've got so many resources 
uh, available to us. The church has never been so well resourced with, with books and DVDs and study notes and things on YouTube and devotional stuff and commentaries. We have an abundance of resources that can help us to know God better. The church is really well resourced. And I want to encourage you to read. And uh, I mentioned this book uh, last month. Um, and I just want to mention it again. If you're a non-reader or you find reading really, really difficult, just try reading one book in the next few months. This book is absolutely brilliant. It's called Dirty Glory. It's got really good, clear print. You can read just little bits of it at a time, and it will really encourage your heart over, over prayer. It's about the 24-7 um, the prayer movement. Um, and just can I just challenge you and encourage you, you know, before Christmas, try and read a book. You know, Get to know God through the resources that we have as well as through Scripture. And you know, it's not just about reading one book. It's not just about doing one study and then moving on. You know, it's really about lifelong learning. You know, uh, we, we need to um, learn and know God throughout all of our lives and, and, and want to, to feed on him and his word throughout our, long, our, our lives. You know, when a baby's born, when little Edward now, he's totally dependent on mum, has to be fed, and uh, that happens for quite a few months, and it's hard work. And um, eventually, children begin to feed themselves, and they take handfuls of food and ram it in their mouth. Eventually, they, they use knife and fork and spoon. Um, we need to learn to feed ourselves. You know, little babies, when you're a baby Christian, you sometimes need to be fed all the time. But there comes a point when we need to feed ourselves. We've got so many resources. Let's, let's feed ourselves so that we can know God in this way. The third way is obviously through the Holy Spirit by continually allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal those things in our hearts that, that we need to um, deal with. Uh, that's the spirit of wisdom coming to us. So there's some practical ways that we can know God better. Be smart. Allow the Spirit to reveal the Father through Jesus that you may know him in increasing measure throughout your life and experience his love in tangible ways. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring wisdom and revelation to your inner being. That's the first thing. The second thing is to know the hope of his calling. What is the hope of his calling? God has called each one of us individually and in different ways. You are among the elect and the chosen. You were called at a point in time, maybe a particular day or over a period of weeks or months. But you are called to be his child, his son, his daughter, adopted into the family. And it's important not just to know that you are called, but to live in the hope of your calling, as Paul says here. The future hope of your calling, the outcome of your calling, your destiny. And the hope is grounded on God's infallible promises. Most people hope in things that are seen, but those things are temporary. For all the amazing advances, advances of man, all the knowledge and technology man has acquired, all the exploration of this planet and other planets, you know, many people live with a sense of hopelessness. We teach our young to put their hope in education, in a career, in being famous, making a fortune, having a property, ideal relationships. These are all temporary things. 
When it doesn't work, many try and anesthetize themselves from the despair and hopelessness they form. And they try all sorts of escapism. You know, we belong to Christ and are in Christ. And in Christ and with Christ, there is hope, long-term and everlasting hope, however dreadful our circumstances may be. Hebrews 6 and verse 19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. And that's what it's about. That's the hope of our calling. We have an anchor. Hendrickson says, this hope is firmly grounded in God's infallible promises. It is the soul's anchor. I like this picture. It is the soul's anchor moored to the very throne of God, to the very heart of Christ. I love that quote. We are anchored to the infallible promises of Father God. That is the hope of our calling. Let me ask you a question. Are you comfortable in life? Comfortable enough that your hope for life is being fulfilled in what you have, where you live, or who is in your life? That's shaky ground. That's temporary stuff. Live with eternity in your heart. That is the hope of your calling. And how do we do this? We remind ourselves regularly of it. It's part of renewing our minds. So when going through trials, remind yourself of the bigger picture. Whatever situation is pressing in, it is momentary. It will not last. So be smart. Hope in Christ. Thirdly, know his rich and glorious inheritance. Be smart. Know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, says in verse 18 there. The phrase in this verse could have two meanings. It can either mean God's inheritance or our inheritance. That is the inheritance God receives us or the inheritance that we receive from God. So which is it? What are we to think of this? I believe it's both. Colossians 1.12 says, The Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. You are qualified in Christ to inherit. And so does Christ inherit in receiving us. We are the inheritance of Jesus too. God has given us to his son. We are his bride. The church is Jesus' inheritance. That is just so amazing, isn't it? This is our true identity. We are in Christ. And because of being in Christ, we become the Father's inheritance, his sons and daughters with inheritance kept in heaven for us. Recently, one of the nursing staff uh, at the hospital at the DGH uh, in the department I work died. He was middle-aged. Young deaths are tragic. Middle-aged deaths have a feel of you know, untimely about them, don't they? Death is uncomfortable for us to talk about as British people. The reality is that none of us know exactly when the day will come. There was a tragic accident on Friday just as we were meeting at 6.30 to pray and uh, a man was killed. Be smart. Know your destiny. 
Know your inheritance. In Christ, we can know that our future is, is not forever in the torment of hell in the absence of God because our inheritance is to live forever in the presence of God. Hallelujah. With Jesus at the right hand. Do you know your destiny? If you were to die today, would you know where you're going? If you don't know, you can be sure today by giving your life to Jesus Christ, receiving forgiveness for your past. You can settle the matter this morning. So please do speak uh, with myself or someone or someone on the welcome desk uh, if that's you this morning. Let me read 1 Peter 1. I love these verses. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth with a living hope. Hallelujah. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. If you're anything like me with your smartphone, you've probably not realized how much you've got on your phone. Owen showed me something the other day. If you want to know something about your smartphone, get young people to to show you. We don't realize the capabilities, do we, of our technology sometimes that we've got in us. Be smart. Know that your inheritance is much more than you can realize, you realize or can imagine. One day it will be fully ours. Fourthly, know his incomparable great power. Paul has prayed about our call, which was in the past, then about our hope and our inheritance, which is mostly future, and now he prays that we would know his empowering. The Ephesian church had emerged from a culture of paganism, superstition, magic arts, occult activity, and immorality. Ephesus was well known for it. Some people in Helsham are trapped in similar things today. New Age influence, psychics, horoscopes, spirit guides, occult practices, Eastern religions, the the list goes on. Many look to these for spiritual help and a bit of good luck thrown in sometimes as well. So as well as there being cynicism towards Jesus Christ, other people seek spiritual powers from other sources, similar to those that Paul wrote about in this letter. I've met such people on the streets in Helsham. They're out there. And you know, this is why Paul labors the point about the incomparable power of God. The Ephesians really needed to know and understand and experience the power available to them in Christ. And so do we. Paul builds and builds in this letter here on who Christ is. It's like the author revealing who done it, but he does it in the first chapter. It's like a song coming to a finale. It's like a symphony building to a climax. This incomparable power, this power is off the scale, Paul is saying. The word that's used here for power is dunamis. It's the word that we get our our word dynamite from. Paul then tells us that God's power is like this. 
And the most significant time this power was demonstrated, he gives, he gives us the example of the resurrection. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he, the Father, exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God. What can be a greater demonstration of power than for a man's crucified body that is mutilated, dead and lifeless, dead for three days, decomposing in a tomb, to breathe again and be physically brought back to life? If you've ever worked in the care sector, you've probably seen people die. There comes a point when doctors can do nothing to sustain life, nothing that can bring that person back. I've seen it. I've held hands with men and women as they've been dying. You know, Jesus' body was dead. There was nothing that could be done to raise it again. It was decaying. And yet the dynamis power of God breathed life again into his lungs. His heart started pumping again. Failed organs returned to life. Not only that, he's been transported to heaven with many witnesses and is now at the right hand of God. Amen. And you know, it is the same power that was exerted at that occasion that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same power that seated him at the right hand of God that is at work in your heart. That power's at work in your heart, Len. <laughs> that power's at work in your heart, Trudy. That same power that raised Christ from the dead, that immense power is at work in our hearts. You know, we so often limit our view of God's power. It's tremendous. Sometimes we, we limit it to being in the big meeting when you know, people are falling over in the spirit, people are being healed, and people are being delivered from this, that, and the other. We limit it to then. But no, God's power is at work all the time. By his power, that same power, that power is within you when you do the school run, when you're in the factory, when you're in the office, when you go about your business, in your home. Someone in, in my home the other day was delivered from an oppression. It happens all the time. God's power is displayed around us. His empowering is there as we read and study God's word. Do you realize that? When you're, when you're studying his word, his power is there. As we carry our future hope in our hearts, that's his power in us. As we live with our inheritance, that's his power within us. As we face persecution, suffering and danger, his power is there for us. We have that same resurrection power as we worship as we worship Jesus each week here, that power is here. Do you know that you're a powerhouse? Tell your neighbor that you are a powerhouse. You don't look like powerhouses, but the reality is you are. Do you realize that God's power is in this room today, whether you're aware of it or not? You know, demons don't want to come anywhere near where they hear Jesus being praised. They just want to run away. They hate it. But when we worship, the angels come 
because they like to look in and long and see the mysteries of Christ. 1 Peter 1, 12. Paul then comes on, and I really haven't got time to uh, open this up too much, but he then comes on to describe Jesus as being far above every other power. Far above every other rule, every authority, every power of every dominion, and every other title or name. Jesus has no rival. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Jesus has no rival. He has no equal because Jesus is Lord. Christ has victory over all things. Human powers, spiritual powers, non-human powers, demonic powers, real or imaginary powers. Christ is Lord over all. These are all defeated. Colossians 2.15 says, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them at the cross. These powers are not in control. Christ is in control. These powers are not equal combatants fighting it out in planet Earth. It's not like Star Wars where good and evil are fighting each other and the goodies win. No, no, no. All will be subject to Christ and are under Christ's authority and control for the church. It's for you. That's amazing. Therefore, the church has authority and power to overcome all opposition because our head, Jesus Christ, is Lord over all. In him, we can completely overcome because Jesus is Lord. In Christ, we can rest because we are the head and not the tail. The Ephesians and we too need to know this incomparable power of Christ. There's nothing that can describe it. That is why nothing is impossible for God. As was prophesied this week, he could add a hundred to this family of God for every child being born. I think that's amazing. We've got a glut of children being born at the moment. It's fantastic. We just had the first one this week, last week, whenever it was. A hundred people for every child born. Imagine that. That's, we need to get a bigger building. Even when we have a vibrant faith, like the Ephesian church had, we can know and experience so much more of the power of God in deeper ways. There is always more. We can be empowered again and again. Can I ask the worship team to come up and uh, if you can just begin to play for us. Um, We've got a closing song, but I want to pray for all of you this morning because I guess you all want to be up for this, don't you? You want to know more and more of God's power in your life, to know God in deeper and deeper ways, to have that lifelong learning, to know him in your head. It's not a bad thing to know him in your head. We know it. We, can, we keep saying we need to know him in our heart. That's true, but we need to know him in our head as well. We need the knowledge of God in our head. It's great because there's power in knowledge. Anyway, let's stand and uh, we'll pray. If you'd like to begin playing, team, that's great. If it's helpful to you, just put your hands out in a receiving mode. Lord, I want to receive more. Oh, Father God, we just thank you so much for the privilege of knowing you. Thank you that we can know you through Jesus. We can know you 
through the Spirit which has been given to us. And Lord, we want to pray, uh, come and fill that hunger that we have to know you today. Lord, we want to have 2020 vision. <laughs> we want to see things in the Spirit. We want to see things that are coming up. We want to see things in your word that we've never seen before. Thank you that you are a father who wants to reveal. And Lord, we want to be revealed too, we say this morning. We want that revelation to come. Lord, we just pray that you remove those cataracts from our eyes, that we wouldn't see misty stuff. We'd see things clearly. Yeah, would you come and do that for us? And Lord, if we have reading problems... Lord, you can heal dyslexia. You can heal um, our slowness at reading. You can heal those inadequacies that we had in our education. Lord, would you come and enable us to uh, enjoy reading, enjoy reading your word, enjoy knowing you through your word, enjoy knowing you through Christian books and other means. Lord, would you come and do that, that we would know you. Help us, Lord, to feed ourselves. Lord, we don't have time to to have a big enough meal on a Sunday when we're together. We need more than we can, we can have on a Sunday. Lord, would you enable us to feed ourselves during the week? Thank you, God, for your hope. Thank you for the hope of our calling. Thank you, Lord, to see the bigger picture when we're being pressed in on. Thank you that it's only for a season. It's only temporary. The bigger picture, where you're taking, where you've called us, the inheritance that you have for us. Would you come and empower us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit in this moment? Holy Spirit, come. Fill our hungry hearts. Thank you that we indeed carry your presence. We carry the very presence of God within us. It's a mystery. I don't understand it. I don't deserve it. I don't... It's a mystery. But your word says that we are sealed with the presence. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We carry your presence to the world in that way. Lord, empower your church. Empower us afresh. In Jesus' name. Amen.